All right, folks, it's a Thursday night. It's time for some winners and losers on the Big 550 KTRS. It's great to have you on board. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's an award-winning columnist. His name is Ben Fredrickson, and he's with me now. Good evening, Ben. Hey, good evening, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We've got winners and losers tonight, Ben. I'm excited. I know you're excited because, um, and, and maybe I'm going to be in a little of a, of a less than stellar mood because I've got some losers to, uh, to talk about tonight. It does seem like when we get a chance to do our winners and losers that the losers do come easily. Yes. Um, usually someone who's made us mad <laughs> <laughs> or uh, we've been waiting for an opportunity to just go off about. But uh, we've, we've got some winners in there, I think. I think I've got a couple maybe non-conventional winners, and uh, and I got one to start us. If uh, if you want me to take this thing uh, and and fire the first shot here. Well, I I was I was going to take us in a in a negative direction. Okay. To to start, so you can decide. Are we going to start on a positive or a, or a negative? Let's start on a negative because then you can lift oh, okay. us back <laughs> up then a little bit <laughs> that later. Like a... <laughs> so <laughs> I want to start. So we're coming up. I believe next week, Ben, will be the announcement of the. Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2024. And we've got some very, very deserving candidates in there. Maybe Todd Helton finally breaks through. Maybe Carlos Beltran, his first year in the ballot, gets the nod. Gary Sheffield, final year on the ballot. Somebody I would certainly champion to be in Cooperstown. Um, Might fall short, but a name to certainly follow next week. But Ben, I'm more concerned right now, less about who's getting in and who's getting and who's being uh, falling short of that 75 percent threshold, and following the guys that are going to fall short of that five percent threshold, because that is a number that automatically puts you back on the ballot the next year, as long as you haven't been on for 10 years. That's the the limit now to to be on the Hall of Fame ballot. And I've got to call out losers here, the baseball writers. And I I don't know what your colleague Derek Gould's ballot is going to look like. Something tells me he's making that play to keep Matt Holliday's name on the ballot, Ben. And what we're seeing right now, and Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter does a great job of collecting all the ballots and and finding the vote the, the votes that we know are out there and I think right now it's like 45 or 50 percent of the ballots that were sent out are now known and Ben Matt Holiday's trending at like 0.6 or 0.7 percent so there's just no chance that the ballots that aren't known are voting for Matt Holiday it's usually the guys that are a little more progressive in their vote and uh and, and want to make them public, and maybe there are still more votes to become public in the in the following days to make this a reality. Uh, but Ben, to me, I, I'm not. And again, I'm not saying Matt Holiday is a bona fide Hall of Famer. In fact, at best, at best, he's borderline. But if you dig deeper and look at the, because I think this is where you need to start as a voter. What did a guy do in the prime of his career? And Matt Holiday's prime lasted a good solid 10 years, Ben. And listen to this slash line for Matt Holiday from 2006 through 2015. Hit 308, got on base at a 390 clip, 
slugged 522, and maybe the most impressive number, because of course we're including Coors Field in this mix, his OPS plus is a 141. That's an elite number, not over, that's an elite number, Ben, in one season. He did that over a 10-year span. And where Holiday gets penalized, Ben, and why his his war number is in the 40s, and that seems to be the de facto number we all go to and say, well, what's his wins above replacement? Ah, that probably falls short. He wasn't a very good defensive player, but he was an elite offensive player. And I think one of the more underrated offensive players of his time. And those numbers, to me, over in his 10-year peak, uh, I think 100% deserve more than one year on the ballot, more than one year to pour over the stats and see, hey, is there a way this guy could, could we could maybe argue him in. But he's going to fall, I think, woefully short of that 5% number, Ben, and when the, the votes become a reality next week, um, Matt Holiday's time on the ballot is going to end. Yeah, there's a, a big debate, and as someone who doesn't have a vote yet, it's easy for me to have opinions until I actually put the put the ink on the paper. Um, I, I think Matt Holliday is a very good baseball player. I think he's a, absolutely was a deserving Cardinals Hall of Famer. I don't think he's a, a Hall of Fame Cooperstown player, but that's really that's one way to vote. And the other way to vote is, does a guy deserve a chance to build momentum on the ballot? And, and should you find a spot for him and, let, and see if time is his friend? Um, some people view that differently. There are guys who will say, hey, I don't think this guy's necessarily a Hall of Famer, but I think he's not shouldn't be a first I think I think he should be a stick around the ballot guy. And and how you vote as a voter if you've earned the credentials to do so, it's really up to you. And that's why there's a process for for becoming a voter. So the 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 knocks against Matt are the defense. Um, and Colorado hurts him. His his highest career home run total was thirty six in two thousand seven in Colorado. Before he joined the Cardinals, he got as high as second in the MVP race. That was a career best. Um, and and after that, it was I don't think a finish beyond uh, you know beyond eleventh, which he had with the Cardinals in 2012. Um, seven All Stars, no MVPs, championship, um, which some guys don't have. I, I consider that pretty good in my in my in my book. I think champions get extra points. He did win a batting title. Um, but he he doesn't he kind of is that uh, that kind of that first group out um, for a lot of guys and that's in the war numbers it's in the if you love the Jay Jaffe um, system the Jaws system we've had Jay Jaffe on our show a bunch he kind of sees him as like kind of right outside his I think his his number for guys is around fifty in in, in the Jaws stat I think Holiday's like a forty forty one so he's probably in that first. In percentile of guys who you can't make a slam dunk case for, but I tend to agree with you. Like with Jim Edmonds, um, I don't think he should be a guy who disappears um, so soon. He should he should be on there a little bit longer. And again, for a guy that did it clean, uh, for a guy that again gets that, and it is it's a tough rap to break. And Ben, I think you make a great point as to why maybe guys. Some baseball voters are going to look at this guy, uh, he's a product of, of Coors Field because uh, almost half his career happened there at Coors Field. It's actually more like a third of his career happened at Coors. But nonetheless, that's kind of the reputation you, you, you build up. Uh, his best OPS plus number was at Coors, Ben. 
but actually tied for best. The other one happened 2011 in St. Louis, a 149 2010 in St. Louis, a 142 2013 in St. Louis, which by the way was a World Series season. Ben, uh, man, Holiday had one of his one of the best seasons of his career quietly in that 2013 season that of course no longer had Albert Pujols. He was the guy in the middle of that lineup along with another name we're talking about in Carlos Beltran who's getting much more love and and for good reason he was a very good center fielder his wins above replacement grayed out but and I'm as guilty as anybody on this Ben I feel like we we use war as as a as a crutch I think too often because then you just naturally ignore some of the other numbers and again the other Ben a 10-year run where Matt Holiday hit 308 during those combined for those ten years, I I I don't think we 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 pay heed enough anymore to batting average, especially for that long of a run. Especially when the other numbers grayed out, he still had a great on base percentage, had a great slugging percentage, and he still managed to hit three oh eight in that time. I feel we ignore that way too often. He's not a great defensive player, but Ben, if memory serves me correctly, and I'm not trying to put him in the same class, but David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame and has what? You know, 100 games uh, defensively on his resume? I mean, give me a break. Uh, I, 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 I want to try to look at this in a way where I'm not penalizing Matt Holliday for what we already knew was the weak point of his game instead of celebrating the strength, which to me this isn't a five- or six-year peak. It's a 10-year peak for Matt Holiday, Ben, where he was an elite hitter in this game. Yeah, I think uh, I think just look at the contract the Cardinals signed him to and how he came through on exactly it. Exactly I mean, right. That, is, that too. He's one of those rare long-term extensions Very rare. that worked out. That was a steal of a deal when it, when, it was, when it was all over. It's a tough spot for the modern voters for Matt Holiday consideration because they're gonna they're in love with defense right now. Whether they should or shouldn't be, they are. Um, they just are. And and his defense was was a big was a big minus. Um, he was uh, in this value. You know, if you consider an overall value, it was uh, it was limited. Um, it was limited by his defense, and that's the that's the knock. And then the and then the the Colorado thing. Um, I think Jeffy broke it down. He's got so Matt had a, a five fifty slugging percentage at Colorado home games over the course of his career and everywhere else on the everywhere else he played he was at you know 485 so yeah he was better he was better offensively some of his peak numbers peak power numbers came um, came in Colorado but anybody who watched him play with the Cardinals knew that he was one of one of the more feared hitters in baseball during his time um, what he doesn't have um, is that those first place ranking numbers yeah, over hurts. the course of his career that really make it a slam dunk case for the Hall. He's like top 10 in war um, over the best stretch of his career from 2007 to 2012, um, but there's not one thing you can point to that's like he led the league in X during this time, and look at these other names he was better than, and and he kind of, I think he falls into that Hall of Very Good um, conversation. Now, I'll say this. Clearly deserving to be more than a more than a more than an early exit guy from the ballot, just like just like Jim Edmonds was, and you know the reality is Matt Holliday is not a guy who could uh, could be lost if this turns to veteran conversation years later. I mean the Hall 
if, if Harold Baines can be in, then then I think Matt Holiday. I don't know that his case is automatically closed, but I, I think uh, I think the Riders are, are really knocking him for the defense and plus that that course field, which he couldn't help. He couldn't help where he played. Um, but I think those two things seem to be seem to be denting him here, perhaps more than they should. And it's and it's unfortunate that he lands in a potential class that has a lot of first timers, Ben, that are getting love. Uh, mentioned Carlos Beltran. Certainly Adrian Beltre, he's going to be a first ballot inductee. There's no question about that. One of the best third basemen of all time. Uh, and then some of the holdovers like Todd Helton that were close. Again, last year on the ballot, like Gary Sheffield that's getting a, a big bump. It, the, the, this ballot, Ben, this particular ballot is strong. And that yeah. also hurts Holiday. But he's going to fall into this class of guys. Holiday, Jim Edmonds. I'm a big Will Clark supporter as somebody that deserves a much longer look at Cooperstown when you look at his resume. And then maybe the most egregious case of all time, Ben, is Kenny Lofton. Um, one of the best center fielders of all time and was off on the first, fell off on the first ballot. And he's another one that would, would land, I think, landed on a very crowded ballot and was just a victim of circumstance. I'd be curious, the ballots, I want to say, were a little thinner the last couple of years if Holiday doesn't fare better and at least get that 5%. And again, just for clarity's sake, I'm not saying Matt Holiday's a Hall of Famer. I'm saying Matt Holiday deserves a much longer look than, Ben, what's going to amount to be about two or three months. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of like of the mindset of like, look, if you either are or you aren't, so what's the point of hanging around? But that's not actually how it works. Um, you know, Larry Walker was a guy who hung around. Barely, and, and he needed that. He needed to hang the around. the conversation continued. Yeah. And it continued and it continued. Scott Rowland was a guy who hung around. Yep. And the conversation continued, 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 and now both those guys are Hall of Famers. I don't know that it would have been the same way for, for Matt, but Jim Edmonds, if he would have hung around, I think people would have started totally. talking, about, talking totally. about him a little bit more because he did have the defense. Um, so, yeah, they're going to be in that group of – Cardinals outfielders that you're like, huh? Was that uh, was that were they here and gone too quick for a deeper consideration? The, to me, the biggest mistake about the Hall of Fame is a different Cardinals outfielder. Um, people get opinionated about this, and I've got a strong one. I think Kurt Flood should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, he changed the game, the way the game is played. He did more for baseball in terms of creating players' ability to have free agency and choice, and 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 really just forever changing the way baseball works, the business of baseball, it, no one else has made as big of an impact as Kurt Flood. And for him not to be in the Hall of Fame is, to me, if it, the Hall is supposed to be a history of the game, and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, I think the steroid guys, if you're going to let some of them in, you got to let them all in. Um, but it's an era it's an era of the game, and who, who made more of a change for baseball than Kurt Flood? I, I think it's crazy that he's not in. So I don't think anything is as egregious as not having Kurt Flood in. A guy that is going to probably, if not be a first ballot guy, be very close to a first ballot guy here, Ben, is Joe Maurer. And his case is going to be interesting. Um, I think Buster Posey will come up before, because then Yachty, you've got these three yeah. big-time catchers, and Maurer is probably going to be a first ballot guy, and his case is his case is interesting, because I don't, I don't think Joe Maurer is a slam-dunk case, um, but he's... Uh, Hey, he's a career three hundred hitter, won an MVP, but I, I've probably I'm probably a guy that's grown more on Yachty's 
chances and maybe soured on a guy like Maurer who gave up catching pretty quick in his career, if, if uh, some would remember. Yeah, I've said this many times, and I'll continue to say it. The people who have gotten a lot of traffic or web clicks or whatever you want to call it off of making the case that Yadier Molina isn't going to be a first, isn't going to be a Hall of Famer, and perhaps a first ballot Hall of Famer. I hope they enjoy the attention because the, the argument's going to look outdated when he gets his shot. I mean, <laughs> this, the hemming and hawing over Yadier Molina to see Joe Maurer get this kind of response, um, it's going to be a slam dunk for Yadi. And I, I can't imagine anybody who had those opinions uh, clinging to them. He might get abstained on some ballots, but I think it'll be pretty overwhelming, especially as people continue to care more about defense, if they do any research at all, if they talk to people about, you know, whether or not the players think the guy should be in the Hall of Fame, Yachty's going to be in there, and I don't think it's going to be close. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's, um, if it's the first chance. And I hope it would be really cool, you know, it would be really cool if he and Albert could go in together. It'd be amazing. And I, I, I think there is some work to be done to get to a stage where you understand that the 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 catch the defensive catching metrics Ben are a lot different than everywhere else because Yadi doesn't get the love from his defense and anybody else gets for like defensive runs saved and whatnot that shows up in in the in the in the war statistic it's very difficult to quantify what a catching what catching defense does is it doesn't yeah. show up in war right the number that's going to be the, the one of the numbers that will be central to Yadi's um, career. Well, it may, and by that point, it may be what the Cardinals did, what the Cardinals had pitching number-wise during his run and after. I mean, that might be the, the pre- and post-Yadi ERA might be the most telling thing, um, or how many catchers they cycle through trying to, to find some sort of an answer. We, we're going to find some of these things out. The number of steal attempts during Yadi's time in St. Louis compared to the league average is going to be the number that jumps off the page um, for voters when that time comes because he was a human suppressant to the run game. They just stopped trying. He caught them. He caught so many of them, and he controlled the run game so well. And he had his pitchers so locked in on controlling base runners, they just stopped trying. Uh, and you look at the numbers of what the Cardinals allowed in steal attempts, not successful steals, attempts, right. compared to the rest of the league. It's absurd. And I feel like nobody talked about it for a long time until it became so obvious that people were like, wait a second, is that right? And it was. Lance Lynn, like, just the other day at winter warm-up was like, yeah, um, well, the pitching change rules didn't really affect me, the pitch clock, because I've always held runners on pretty well, because if I didn't, I'd get yelled at by Yachty. <laughs> <laughs> and still to this day, he's talking about it. So I just, I think it, all of this hot air about Yachty or Molina is not a, First, not Yadier Molina is not a Hall of Famer. I think it's crazy. I think him playing as long as he did chased away any doubt. And yeah, his offense—if you compare him to some of the guys who spent a lot of time playing at first base—maybe it's not as good. But you can't put Joe Maurer in. You can't put Buster Posey in and not have Yadier Molina. In. You just can't. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be fascinating to see. It's it's still several years away from actually playing out Maurer the first to maybe post his Hall of Fame plaque or not, and we'll learn all about this next week. Winners and losers, Ben, again, I kind of set us on a, on a 
on it. And I figured we'd uh, we'd kind of go off a little bit there. And I, I enjoyed that conversation. And and more to come next week when we actually have a class and and how the vote shakes out. But I know you've got a winner for us, I think, Ben, when we come back. So we'll do that on the other side of this break. It's our winners and losers on the Big 550 KTRS. Big big sports show on a Thursday night. It's our winners and losers. Brendan, we see Ben Fredrickson along as uh, we had a loser, and I kind of lumped all of our baseball writers in for not voting Matt Holiday clear of that 5% threshold to stay on the Hall of Fame ballot. But, Ben, you're going to brighten the skies here a little bit with a winner for us. Yeah, how about, uh, how about a golden sunrise? It's a tough season for the Missouri basketball team. You and I talk about it nightly. I'm not going to beat up on them. I'm going to congratulate them and the University of Missouri for bringing back something that has been asked for, begged for, pleaded for for years. Missouri basketball team, I don't know if you saw this today, revealed they're bringing back the old classic block M gold uniforms, the kind that used to shine so perfectly in the overhead lights at, at Hearn's. And it's going to be—they're going to be a hit. They're going to probably sell a, a ton of them, and hopefully this this can inspire the team to play a little bit better. But even if they go out and lose, they will look good doing it because these are one of the most iconic basketball jerseys in Missouri history. It's a little bit of a redo, but that block M is on there, and I love this. I I think Missouri—it seems to me like it's trending back a little bit more towards some of their some of their traditional looks. You know, we're seeing some of the. So the block M action return in, in the football helmets and now on the basketball court, and it's awesome because to me that that's what it should look like, and that's that that stirs up a lot of great memories about some old basketball teams coached by Norm, and it's it's the perfect time. Um, hopefully, the team can 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 be inspired by these and play a little bit better, but maybe maybe it's a look good, play good situation. But I think they're really slick. I think they're really sharp. Anything that's not that. Uh, practice jersey look they took oh my gosh for a while is better and these are not just better they're great and those need to be retired because they still wear those plenty ben those Terrible. ugly kind of bronze yellow ish with the giant tiger head in the middle it's just a terrible look. Like you said, they look like practice jerseys. Those need to be retired and, uh, you know, thrown into the dumpster fire immediately and never to be worn again, especially since most recently they wore them either at Bragg and Rights or the Kansas game, and they just absolutely got trucked. So those jerseys can be retired going out on the losing end. And, yeah, Ben, anything to bring back the look. Of you know going back to the classic Norm Stewart teams, who by the way, happy birthday, Norm turns eighty nine years old. Uh, I think Saturday, Ben. So early happy birthday to Norm, and a great a great birthday gift to Norm to find a way to pay homage to those teams. I uh, it gets people excited, and it reminds us, Ben, and maybe most importantly, it reminds us of what this program can be. Absolutely, yeah, and plus the fans love them and give the people what they want. They're struggling through a, cl- a, a rough, trying season, and and they want this. I mean, they're just a timeless look. They've got some kind of updated features on them, but they got the big, white, broad waistband with the white piping, big block M, um, the SEC logo up on the shoulder. So it's it's not quite a true a true vintage look, but it's that it's also that 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 real old gold which looks looks good and to me it's 
it's been missing from the basketball team's arsenal. So if they could just use these and throw out those other ones, I think that would be a that would be not a win that goes down on the record, but a win for this program. And right now, it needs all the wins it can get. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, Ben, I want to keep you. I want to want to let you get fired up here as well. You've got to have a loser for me. Well, I actually have a winner. And, oh, another winner. Um, okay. Yeah, I do, and it's it's a winner who I would usually rush to to claim as a loser. Um, but I can hold him, and I, I'll give you a loser instead. We haven't talked a ton about this, um, and we should, and I don't want to just get, uh, don't just let it slip by. Um, I think Nate Oates is one of the biggest losers of the week. Yeah. I think the Alabama basketball coach who was hit with a reprimand from the SEC, which means nothing, um, it is, uh, he needs to actually just not let that slide off and, and think it's nothing. He needs to kind of contemplate how bad that situation could have gone down there in Alabama the other night when he gave Aiden Shaw a little shove. It wasn't like a punch. It wasn't, I want to make it bigger. But if, if the wrong player receives that and responds poorly, which could have happened, Nate Oates would have been in a real, real bad situation. And this is not a guy who needs any more bad press around what the kind of the conduct of his basketball team, considering what they went through last year. So I think college coaches in general need to kind of have a, a little bit of a uh, timeout and think about what the heck they're doing. They're all over the court. They're getting in. They're getting in shouting matches with players and handshake lines. Rodney Terry down there at Texas the other night because of a horns down by God after his team blew a 15 point second half lead. We got Martin's guy Shaka Smart out there on the court during games trying to defend players in a, three, in, a in a stance. You know, it, it, getting in the way of the game. I mean, these guys got to get checked, man. Like the officials got to rein in these coaches because it's become ridiculous. And if it keeps happening, something bad's going to happen. Well, I. I want to echo and, and sort of kind of turn this into a winner too, because I want to echo Coach Gates's comments last night on Tiger Talk, where, yeah, what Nate Oates did, it, it is what it is, and, and the reprimand, it's there, what have you. But I do think more needs to be said uh, about how Aiden Shaw handled that situation, and he handled it beautifully, because he get, I mean, he been. I mean, there are guys, rightfully so, would have been like, what? You just put your hands on me? And anybody, any walk of life, basketball player, official, um, a scorer on the table, a fan in the stands, you get shoved more times than not, you're going to shove back. And Aiden Shaw walked away. He didn't yap. He didn't point fingers. He found himself in the Tiger huddle. And that does need to be acknowledged. I don't know if celebrated is the right word, but I do think it speaks volumes about the character. And we had him on last week. High, high character, uh, Aiden Shaw, and he showed that. Mizzou came out on the losing end on the scoreboard Tuesday night. But Aiden Shaw and Dennis Gates, I think, showed great restraint in how they handled that situation. Uh, and, and Nate Oates, whether it was him running over to the handshake line to say something to Coach <laughs> Gates afterwards or any of his comments afterwards, he needed the wig and the clown nose and the face paint after Tuesday night. And uh, it was Dennis Gates and Aiden Shaw that I thought showed how to handle it from a sportsmanship perspective, which gets uh, lost in the shuffle far too often. Yeah, well said. And, uh, yeah, Nate Oates still talking about this as if it was something that uh, he had no control over. I apologize. It happened. 
yeah, we know it happened. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you did it. It didn't just happen to you. You didn't wake up from a coma and you had pushed someone. Um, he let his emotions get the best of him, and I'm sure he knew in the moment how bad he how bad he screwed up. Here's what he should do: he should take some of his salary and donate to Aiden Shaw's scholarship. Fund no kidding. Because no he should have gotten a fat fine from the league. It would be the least he could do uh, to put a little money in Aiden Shaw's scholarship fund, which I know you talked to him about. So um, that would be a that would be a real gesture from Nate that suggested, yeah, I realize I got away with an absolute screw up there that could have gone sideways. Because I'm telling you what. There are some guys who would not have responded well, and there are some coaches who would not have responded well. And you put two teams that are playing hard in that environment, and the coaches are drawing, bad things could have happened. And Greg Sankey would have woken up with a lot more than a public reprimand to issue um, if that had gone sideways. So I, 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 but I see it, dude, every night. These coaches are unchecked. They're, they're not being held accountable by the officials. They're not in the coaching box. They are too. They're 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 drawing with opponents' players. They are they are they're not conducting themselves as calm. It don't have to be calm. It's a game. Get fired up, but you got to have limits. And I think these officials, man, it's crazy to me that in that game there was a block shot and a so-called taunt by an Alabama player who got teed up immediately. He didn't need to be teed up. He was celebrating. That was a ridiculous technical. And he's teed up immediately, and you've got a coach who's out there putting his hands on guys, and two officials don't do anything. These coaches need to be held accountable. And if these officials don't do it, then someone's got to tell the officials it's part of their job to keep the coaches in line because you can't have coaches out there instigating stuff. And, and Ben, you mentioned it just a second ago, and I think it's it was going to be a loser of mine, and I think it's a perfect spot to throw it into. Rodney Terry and the Texas Longhorns. What a bunch of losers. <laughs> Um, and, and we're again, we're talking about a coach that goes out there and shoves a player. Meanwhile, you've got a bunch of young kids that are excited. They just beat the mighty Texas Longhorns in Austin. Not so mighty anymore when you lose three of four and you're one in three. Last I checked, it was Texas that got Caden Shedrick, and Mizzou was on the wrong end of that. Uh, Rodney Terry... Not handling Caden Shedrick so well. The guy hardly plays and was one of the elite transfers in the portal. I wonder if Shedrick is uh, regretting his decision to go to Austin instead of Mizzou. It was down to those two schools. He goes to the Longhorns instead. But, uh, again, the UCF team last night, they beat Texas, and I guess they threw the horns down sign uh, out a time or two. And Rodney Terry... Loses his mind and has to admonish every every uh, UCF player in the handshake line. No, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. We, you know what, man? For starters, who cares? What what is? I mean, am I missing something, Ben? Has this become something that is so unforgivable? Is it like the throat slash? Is it? <laughs> I mean, where are we at for horns down? Because I know it wasn't there a time where, where NCAA or Big Twelve officials said if you get if you throw the horns down, it's a fifteen yard penalty. <laughs> this is so bad. And Rodney Terry in Texas. I mean, were were they? Was you were the UCF players in the wrong? I, I don't know, and I don't know any of the circumstances or context to go along with how that ended last night. But these are kids being kids, having fun. They just pulled off an upset. 
on the road. Is it the best sportsmanship? Probably not. But again, the biggest loser and the sore loser looks like the guy that's admonishing all the players for doing horns down. Get real. I don't think any Texas players had a problem with it. Um, if you don't want to see horns down in your own building, maybe don't blow a 15-point lead in the second half, Rodney. How about that? Let's start there. Um, or, hey, if you don't want to participate in the handshake line, you don't have the composer to do it, just, just sit it out. But to, to go through it and scold players who just beat you, bad look. You're not Coach K, and it wasn't a good look when he did it either. So um, maybe worry about coaching your own team. But, hey, he teaches his guys, as he said, how to – how to lose with dignity? Well, okay, um, maybe, maybe, maybe co-coach and don't lose so many games. <laughs> he acted as if they had given the middle finger salute to like his his wife sitting courtside or something. Like, no, everyone who beats Texas does horns down. It's uh, it's become a common thing. I'll tell you also, Texas is going to have to toughen up if they're going to if they're going if they're going to survive in this SEC that they're about to enter. No kidding. Because here in this league, man, it's pretty brutal. And you know when when you when you play LSU, people cook alligator and eat it at their tailgate, <laughs> and and things can get pretty ugly. Believe it or not, there was a there was an Auburn fan, or there was a, an Alabama fan who poisoned the trees at Tumors Corner from Auburn. It was terrible. These things happen in this league, and, and they're going to be a little more uh, offensive than than seeing some horns down. Texas acts like this is some sort of like religiously offensive gesture, and. Uh, and it's not. The only way they can bring it, prevent it is to go win a game. And I sure think Rodney should have been a little more worried about his team blowing a 15-point second-half lead. I'm so tired of hearing these coaches complain and whine and sound so thin-skinned about stuff. they gotta, they got to get it together. And you know what they also need to do? They need to put on ties again and stop acting like it's the middle of the pandemic. And maybe it will remind them that, that they got to coach with a little dignity in class. It's uh, it's it's laughable, Ben, and uh, they they show their true colors in moments like that. And Rodney Terry and and uh, Nate Oates have done that the last couple of nights uh, around the world of college basketball. And th- this kind of goes with it, Ben. And we'll take a break afterwards, and maybe you can close this out with a with a winner or a loser. But my another loser for me are the folks that are losing their mind about Taylor Swift in the NFL. Um, but people are actually mad. I don't, I don't get I don't it. I don't understand. So that there are all these memes that are flying around. The most annoying person in the NFL is Taylor Swift. Why? Uh, why are you so offended by Taylor Swift? And what, what's clearly been, I, I think, probably a, a well, like they need any more godsends, like they need anything else good, because everybody's watching the games anyway. But Taylor Swift has been an enormous boost. Number one. Um, I think if you if you, and and you are a, a a very recent girl dad Ben, if you are a fan of football and you have daughters, young daughters, something tells me those young daughters have become football fans, and maybe they wouldn't have become football fans without Taylor Swift. So consider that for a second. I mean, she's that big of a star, and I, I think she's having that big of an impact now do i think the relationship with travis kelsey might be a bit of a farce yeah i think i i might believe that if you told me that in two months the relationship no longer exists yeah i might believe that especially if travis kelsey like what happens if he gets cut from the chiefs uh, does taylor swift realize ah, I'm, I'm not so interested in this relationship anymore um and and it come to an end 
uh, that that's a different conversation to have. Uh, if you're going to get all worked up because the camera a few times throughout the course of the game is going to show Taylor Swift, uh, grow up or watch something else. And it's <laughs> it's the usual losers that post this stuff on uh, on social media. I'll just I'll just say that you can go to their bios and it what tends to be Tony Dungy. the same. Is Tony Dungy getting worked up about it too. Golly, yeah, why, why just, is Tony Dungy why? so mad? Why does Taylor Swift hurt him like personally? Does does his uh, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Look, she's a, an all-American success story. You don't have to like her music. It's incredible what she's built herself into. And she is is decided to to date an, another all-American success story. This, this is a, a story as American as apple pie. It's two people at the top of their game who are enjoying each other's company, who are, are, are enjoying football. It should be something that everybody's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law... He's a Chiefs fan. He's got two daughters. They love watching the Chiefs game. I now bet. he's in hog heaven. He gets to I watch bet. the game, and they like it. So <laughs> there's really nothing to complain about. Yeah, 100%. There is no reason to be unhappy or get yourself worked up. This is uh, it's a good thing. And again, You know what it is, man? It's jealousy. That's, probably, that's what it is. It's probably a part of it. Again, maybe the story comes to an end. It. Maybe it comes to an end on Sunday with uh, the Chiefs and the Bills. There in Buffalo. Ben, I'll have you close us out uh, when we return our winners and losers on a Thursday here on the Big 550. Ben, we got about five minutes here as we uh, round out this uh, winners and losers segment on the Big Sports Show on the Big 550 KTRS. Uh, award w- Ben is the biggest winner this week as uh, he was named Missouri Sports Writer of the Year. And you folks have heard that promo, I'm sure, playing. I don't know if you realize, Ben, we've got a promo. It, it is it is singing your praises about Sports Writer <laughs> of the Year, Ben Fredrickson, on our airways, possibly right now. Very kind, and thank you to the station for for the for the uh, just a really sweet response. Heard from a lot of folks at the station today, and. Um, very thoughtful and um, really appreciative. So, thanks to folks, and I apologize for the promo. Hopefully, that'll only run a couple more days, and then it'll probably be, hopefully be gone. So, uh, but I, I know that Pat White put that together, and uh, I, I do wanted to say thanks to him and um, thanks to, to everybody for being so kind about it. But, well, it's uh, an um, honor to have you uh, as a, an honor to call you a colleague, Ben. And it's been a, a great week for you. And um, yeah, how do you want to close us out? I got a regrettable winner, Uh-oh. and I don't like to call this guy a winner. Usually, I'd like to prefer to call him a cheater. But <laughs> I think Bill Belichick's going to be a winner, man. Um, I think this guy is now freed from the burden of the Patriots. I think we saw what happened with Tom Brady and the glow up, which he found elsewhere. I think Bill Belichick is going to go somewhere and maybe show people that hey, he's still got some magic left. And it's not just a Tom Brady, Bill Belichick thing, too. Sometimes a coaching change for these guys can rejuvenate things. And he's got now a chance to be a free agent, interview wherever he wants, and really go with a place where he gets to evaluate a roster and say, I can win with these guys. And can you imagine if you're a team that struggled or hasn't been able to capitalize on all your potential and that guy walks through the door, it changes the atmosphere of the organization. And I think he's going to be smart about where he picks. So... I think I think Bill Belichick is probably going to be a winner here now that he's no longer feeling like he has to stick with the Patriots. He gets a fresh start and maybe a little bit lowered expectations even, and wouldn't be surprised if he does some good things with that. I, I mean, I do fall in that camp of of Belichick and 
has a lot. Uh, he should be writing a lot of thank you notes to Tom Brady, maybe one every single day. But I will say this, a motivated Belichick would be a scary Belichick. And if he's motivated to prove that it wasn't just Tom Brady, and he might have like a two or three window, two or three year window to do it, right? Um, right. Or that would be scary. A relaxed, a relaxed one, yeah. In that he can go and 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 just and maybe breathe, and and have a fresh change of scenery. Sometimes that can get something out of a guy that you didn't even know was in there. So right. I'm just uh, the fact that he still wants to do it tells me something. He's just. I thought he'd probably retire. He's not going to. No. And it tells me he's got some gas left in the tank and. He's gonna he's gonna try to, to write one more chapter to this thing. I still wonder ultimately where where Ben that's going to be, and uh, I think it's um, one of the new things we've seen now in the NFL is that they let you know every 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 coach that is interviewing <laughs> so, for these so jobs. Isn't that strange? Yeah. yeah, I'm fully prepared to see Eli Drinkwitz interview Bill Belichick for his defensive coordinator <laughs> opening. And that's something Ben yeah, that Eli, Eli and Hoodie are pals. Maybe maybe he maybe. Could get, uh, Maybe he could get Bill in for an interview just to stir the pot a little bit. And I think that's something we probably need to dig into uh, again tomorrow as we uh, continue to await what direction Mizzou goes in their defensive coordinator. We're also going to visit with a good friend of yours, and we heard him on the Mizzou basketball broadcast a couple of nights ago, Dane Bradshaw. I look forward to Dane being on uh, our show tomorrow night. Yeah, Dane's one of the best, man. And for folks who, who maybe don't know him as well, former Tennessee basketball player who's done a great job um, kind of growing in the ranks of SEC basketball broadcasting. I think he's got a real knowledgeable eye for the game, really just great person. I'm excited to catch up with him and get his takes on this Mizzou team that he just watched play at Alabama and also the league as a whole. So I think we'll have some really good insight tomorrow night and looking forward to it. Looking forward to it, sir. And uh, and anything we're looking for in the paper tomorrow? Well, I did uh, tee off. Uh, you got me fired up talking about these college basketball coaches. So I wrote Love a column it. about that. That'll be in tomorrow's paper. And it'll be should be online first thing tomorrow morning at stltoday.com. Great stuff, man. We'll wrap the week tomorrow. I uh, look forward to it. And uh, always fun doing some winners and losers with you. Yeah, man. Good stuff. I'll talk to you soon. And have a good evening, everybody. That's Ben Fred. I'm Brendan Weesey. Uh, more coming up. The show is not over as of yet. Uh, we come back in the 8 o'clock hour. A couple guests. One, your head coach for the St. Louis Battlehawks, Anthony Bengt. And we're going to visit with our good friend Josh Carpenter, who covers golf for the Sports Business Journal. Loaded 8 o'clock hour coming up after the news on the Big 550.